I loved hearing Lutz's story about self, his, his journey of self-discovery and working out his identity. And what became so clear to me as I listened to his story is that he had this kind of wrestle and struggle for his, for his identity here um, within the world and on, on earth. And then he came to realize that there was this completely other identity that he could get into um, to do with the kingdom. And I think what I realized as I listened to this is that we have so much pain that we have to work out as we work at our identity here amongst people on this earth, in this world, there are all these things that, that plague us and hurt us and disappoint us and cause us feelings of rejection or embarrassment. Um, and these things can be across uh, race or culture lines, as Lute so vulnerably shared, or they could be across socio-economic divides, or they could be across where you went to school or what area you live in or what you look like. But there are all these things that cause us to question if we're okay, are we enough? Um, and they cause us to, to enter into these phases that he described. And to be quite honest, as I listened to him describing his phases and all of his things that he used to do to kind of be part of the group and be accepted, I cringed thinking about some of the things that I used to do. And I realized in retrospect, I don't think I knew at the time, but in retrospect, I know that there was, you know, something driving me into finding this kind of acceptance in other groups. I cannot tell you how relieved I am that social media wasn't around as I had my hippie stage and my Bob Marley stage and my mildly gothic time. Um, it's a great relief to me that there's no evidence um, of those times. But we all have this, this need for acceptance. And I know that as uh, we navigate this kind of need, all of us do it. And it's something that we're actually wired for. It's not... If it's not something that wasn't a part of our design. Um, and so what I realized is that there wasn't only this kind of typical wanting to be a part of something that I was navigating. I realized that there was something more that was driving me in this area, and that was a rejection. And um, so sometimes we just have needs that are normal, and sometimes we have needs that are born of this pain that we have to navigate in the space of other around us in this world. And really and truly, it was never how God had planned it. You know, he wanted us running around uh, naked, actually. Um, there can't be any greater kind of acceptance and approval than that. But everything went wrong. And as a result, we live in this place of terrible pain and, um, and worrying and concern and wondering if we're enough, are we good enough? Um, and so today we're going to look into a story that I think speaks to this so well. We're looking at needs. Do we need this? We're on this journey of going, as we add everything back into getting back into normal, do I need church? And last week, Paul said, yes, if you want to grow in faith, you need to be in a spiritual family. And today we're looking at the fact that if you aren't in a church, it's going to be so difficult to grow in your identity as a son and daughter of God. And so today we're looking at a story that I think many of you would know of, or at least have heard of. Um, it's the road to Damascus or the story of Paul's conversion. And just to um, paint a picture before we dive into the text, we're looking at this scene where Paul is a probably flat on the floor, there is light shining out of heaven um, and a voice that is saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's the voice of Jesus. Now, I do have to apologize up front. I tend to um, 
confuse the name Saul and Paul. They're the same person. But at this point of the story, I should only be saying Saul. Please forgive me if I say Paul, because I know him more as Paul. Don't get stuck on that. It's the same guy. So we have... This Paul, who we've actually just read in, in the text before we're going to look at, he's actually eager to kill the Christians. He's got letters from the high priests to go to Damascus and to actually um, to arrest the Christians. They weren't even called Christians yet. They were called the, the followers of this sect or this group called The Way. Um, and so these guys were... Um, doing their thing as fresh, new, excited believers in Jesus. And this, for whatever reason, was infuriating Paul. And he had permission to go to Damascus and arrest them. And it is at this point that we find him probably flat on the floor. Um, some paintings <laughs> show us that he was probably thrown off a donkey or a horse or something. That doesn't matter. There he is. And, and then God speaks. And so we have this. Um, we have, sorry, backtrack a moment. We, we hear God say to Paul, to Saul, go to Damascus and there is a man there who wants to meet with you. So now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to a street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has uh, seen, sorry, that word's joined, sorry. <laughs> he has seen a vision, um, seen in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this chief priest's authorization to arrest all who call on your name. Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. So we have this moment where um, Ananias is sitting peacefully in a room and the Lord speaks to him and says, you've got to go and do this thing. And Ananias is understandably not happy about this. Um, he says, do you not actually know who this guy is? This, this is the guy who's come here with not great intentions towards our people. Um, to be quite honest, Paul was an absolute fundamentalist. He was murderous and hateful. And I think Ananias was well within his right to be incredibly um, not wanting to go and see him and to fulfill what God was asking him to do. So we carry on. But the Lord said to him, and you know, when we see this, but the Lord said, you can imagine that some kind of an argument might have even playing out. It's like, God is saying this and you're like, but, 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 I don't think this is a great idea. But we know that when it says, but God said, that God's actually going to win. And he's actually already said what's going to happen. There isn't really wiggle room out of this for Ananias. He's got to go and do this. And so it goes on, go, for he is chosen, a, a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I think the big thing here is that he is chosen. God is saying to Ananias that this man, this most unlikely man, Saul, is chosen. And, you know, we're told that all of us are chosen from the foundations of the world. 
But it's quite something different to be told that you're chosen or that somebody is chosen for something unique. It implies a, a deep knowledge of God towards this person. It's, it's an understanding that he knew all about Paul. He knew what his gifts were. He knew what he was capable of. And he said to Ananias, this is the one. He is the chosen one who's going to speak to kings and all sorts and bring about my message. It's quite an incredible thing. And, you know, this message of being chosen is the very thing that spoke into my story around rejection. There was something that had happened at a point a few years ago. And I just found myself in such gut-wrenching deep pain that I didn't actually know um, if I would get out of it. Um, I did not know if the tears would stop. And it was two people in this church community who came to me, who just stepped into that place of really ugly pain and reminded me who I was. They helped me to see where the beginning of this rejection pain had started. And they were able to take me way back before that to remind me that I had been chosen from the foundations of the earth. And you know, when you understand, um, when you are reminded of that, when you're in such a pit that you can't get there yourself, and when they said that to me, I felt a complete healing. I, I just felt something healing in my heart. And I knew with complete certainty that never again would I be in a valley like that one again. And to this day, I never have. These guys knew that I needed them, these two people in our church. And as ugly as it was, they stepped in to that moment. Paul needed Ananias. And as terrifying as it was for Ananias, he stepped into that moment because he recognized that there was a chosenness and he was ready to bring him back into what God had for him. So the next part, the next uh, verse we get to is, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is quite an incredible moment. And I think sometimes as we read scripture, we can miss things like this. I actually did it first. But he is arriving in this house of this utter arch enemy, this man who literally wanted to kill him. And he walks up completely, obviously with complete faith in his God. Ananias walks up and lays his hands on this man, this murderous fundamentalist, and calls him brother. And I can't really imagine what that felt like to Saul, to, to know that this person who you despised and who you um, had thought the worst of is here in your moment of utter darkness, ready to lay hands on you and call you brother. And, you know, the term brother is this stepping into family moment, saying we're siblings, we're in this family together, in this spiritual family. And more than that, it also speaks to the fact that they share a father. They have the same father in this new spiritual family. You know, I think there are feels to this moment that it's hard to imagine. Just this week, um, I was with a dad in our, in, our, um, in our community who hadn't seen his children since the beginning of the year. And he was reunited with them this week. And as he spoke to me about it and he looked, at them past my shoulder. He just couldn't stop the tears flowing. There is something about family. And this moment, I think, is one of those moments that just 
Saul would have been blown away. I am a brother of these people who hated me. It's such an unlikely thing to happen. It's something that he would never have experienced in this world. It speaks of another kingdom, of something completely different. And so we, um, we move on to the next part of the verse, sorry. It says, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Now I'm going to kind of gone to a point that's maybe not completely connected to today's message, but I feel that it's so important because I think that right now we're seeing so much of things gone wrong, things that were never, ever meant to be this way. And what we see here with Paul, Saul, is that he has this moment where scales fall of his eyes, and I'm not going to claim to know exactly what that means, but I will say that I know that it meant that he was given a new way of seeing. You see, we have this way of seeing that is of the world and of its fallenness and of its brokenness and of its envy and of its hatred and its racism and everything. And there is something that happens in this moment that takes away that way of seeing the world. And Paul takes on a new way of seeing the world, a kingdom way. Up until this point, he would have been living a life that made him believe, a religious life that made him believe that he had to please God, that he had to do things to please God or to be loved or accepted by God. And so this would have shaped how he was living. And you know, there's nothing that infuriates a religious bigot more than people who are free and joyful and just exuberant. And that's what he would have been seeing in this community. So the thing that probably drove his hatred against this group of new people who were followers of Jesus was their freedom and their life and the, the fact that they were carrying this new kind of kingdom. You know, I think that we need to look at Saul's life as an example to all of us. So sometimes people who are incredibly intelligent and even well-meaning, um, people who are in high up religious places can get things completely wrong. Um, you know, he, he was seeing life so utterly incorrectly. And um, we see how religion gone wrong has played out with absolute carnage across the world, across religions. And we find ourselves in a place now today where so many struggle to trust religion because of what it's done. We've seen religion used to justify the most horrific things, to justify um, racism and misogyny and hating of other faiths and um, othering people, and basically this, this faulty lens that I believe that Paul got rid of is really about being able to look at another person and to think that they, created in the image of God, are in some way inferior. And in this moment, I believe that that all went. And Paul, in this new reality of having been brought into and adopted into this kingdom for which he'd always been designed, just loses the scales. It's a radical moment of change and transformation. And I believe that it's available to each and every one of us if we would just invite that kind of change and transformation in our lives. So, then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. And so what an incredible story. It's an absolutely mind-boggling story. And I think for me, I find that sometimes when I'm reading scripture, um, it's so helpful to actually ask questions of it. 
And so I want to do this with you for a moment to ask a few questions of this text to see what else we can draw out about what God is doing. Sometimes I ask the questions like, who am I in this story? Or why did God do it that way? He could have done it another way. And so I'm going to actually just give you a moment to ask that question. Are there any questions that you have of this text? I'm going to start with Ananias. And I think when I think of somebody who might be sharing some sentiment with how Ananias may have been feeling, it could be that there is some kind of challenge ahead of you or you feel called into something that is frightening, that makes no sense, but that you know could bring in something of what God had always wanted, that incredible peace that he had always wanted for us, that kingdom invading this earth where there's so much pain. Maybe there's an Ananias Thing for you in this story. Or maybe there's an understanding of Paul's situation, and maybe it's slightly different to the actual situation of Paul. But maybe you find yourself so steeped in sorrow or depression or anxiety, or maybe it's hatred and anger or something that you think is so shameful that you can't even imagine that somebody could reach into that place and pull you into the light as Ananias did with Paul. Maybe some of you listen to this and you feel a little bit frustrated or even despondent or like resigned about the fact that there were two guys who were hearing God so clearly. I so often speak to people in church who are so frustrated or sad that they feel that they don't hear from God. And I feel that there's a key in this text for us to unlock something here. I think very often when we're desperate to have a word from God, we're actually praying for ourselves and we're saying, God, what should I do? Give me a word. How should I go about this? And I think the beautiful thing about this is that actually Ananias had a word for somebody else. And very often I think that God would want to help us to find our, our spiritual gifts and to hear him when it's for somebody else because he's so after community. He's so after us needing one another. And I know for sure that God wants to speak to you about you and for yourself. But if you've really struggled in that space, I just want to encourage you at the next watch party that you're at, if there's a moment of prayer, just be bold. Ask God to give you a word or a sense or an encouragement for somebody else. And as you grow in that um, in the face of that moment, as you see maybe that something you say resonates, that's exactly the place that you get to grow and, and stretch your faith and try out new things in this safe spiritual family that God had always intended for us. I think, however, that the question that I most would want to understand and that I think gives us the greatest key to the story is why did God even have to use Ananias? Because, you know, the truth is he, he blinded Paul on his own. He um, got him somehow on the floor on his own. He told him to go to Damascus on his own. It's well within the ability of the creator of the universe to have actually just given him sight again and sorted this whole thing out. There didn't have to be an Ananias involved. But I think for me that the key to this is that God wanted Paul to know from the very outset of his faith journey, from his moment of conversion, that you need others for kingdom moments, that we're meant to be in this together, that we unlock things for each other. And this is Paul who went on to write half of the New Testament, who committed his life to building up the church, to edifying the church, to encouraging, to challenging, to doing everything he could to invite more into this kingdom family that he had found. 
I just love how when we dive in and ask those questions, we see that there's potentially so much more that God is saying. And I really do believe that because of the way that Paul came into his moment of faith with somebody else, that this is something that was shaped. It shaped the whole of how Paul ran his ministry and the value that he had in others and extending everything as far and wide as he could. A few years ago, one of my children, and I'm not going to give the gender because I don't want everyone saying it was you, um, one of my children was having a really bad season. And to be quite honest, um, I was really struggling and my instincts wanted me to unleash a can of whip ass on this child. Um, I really wanted to go at it gung-ho and I would have had God not spoken to me. And I feel that he offered me a different way and he prompted me to do something that was completely out of the ordinary for me and my then parenting techniques. And so he led me to write a letter to this child. And in this letter, I described none of the struggle, none of the behavior. I just reminded this child who this child was. I spoke of the gold in this child and the kindness and all of the qualities that we know that God had put in this child. And I left the letter on the bed and left it at that. And a few hours later, this child came to me, so grateful and said, thank you for this letter, mom. And you know, there was no fight, no rebuke, just this child that said, I don't like how things have been going between us and I want it to be better. And thank you for reminding me who I am. And you know, we all need that. We all need those people to remind me as who we are. And that's why God wanted us in a spiritual family. You know, we knock around in this world and we encounter the pain and the, the struggle and it was all not what God had intended. But we have these moments where it's like heaven and the way that he wanted it to be and that shalom peace that he'd always intended are just yanked down into this reality. I think if we just look at this whole message, we, we are in a time now where we're making decisions and we get to decide what we need and what we don't need. And we know that Lutz needed a kingdom revelation of his identity in order to really enjoy all of his earthly identities. We know that Paul needed Ananias to yank him, to pull him into the kingdom of God. There have been so many times when I have felt absolutely at the end of myself and God has given some friend in our spiritual family a dream that has pulled me back in or told me in a dream to go and speak to somebody else. There are these incredible moments where we kind of work around each other and, and pull each other back into this incredible thing that God had always wanted for us. Paul wrote this. He said, for I'm convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation will, be ever, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. And you know, sometimes we just need our spiritual family to remind us of that. So as we go into these days of working out what it is that we need, I'm gonna be dead honest with you and say that even though I'm a pastor and the leader of a church, I myself have found myself asking, do we need to go back to church? 
it's great. It's great being at home, sometimes in our pajamas. We've got our family. God speaks to us here in our living room. Why do we even need to go back? But I know it's because of these moments. It's because God absolutely and utterly designed us for community. It was never just meant to be about us and Him. It was always meant to extend out into how we live and move and have our being in this world. I want to close today with reading something, and I don't actually know if this is completely true, but it certainly resonates for our message today. It's a piece about a tribe in Africa called the Himba tribe, and if you don't mind, I'm just going to read it. It is said that there is this tribe, and in this tribe, the birth date of a child is counted not from when they were born, not from when they were conceived, but from the day that the child was a thought in its mother's mind. And the woman decides, when the woman decides to have a child, she goes off and sits under a tree by herself, and she listens until she can hear the song of the child. And after she's heard the song of this child, she comes back to the man who will be the child's father, and she teaches it to him. And then when they conceive this child, they sing the song of the child as a way to invite it. And then when the mother is pregnant, the mother teaches the child's song to the midwives and the old woman of the village so that when the child is born, the old woman and the people will sing the child's song as it comes into the world. And then as the child grows up, the other villagers are taught the child's song. And if this child falls or hurts its knee, someone picks it up and sings the song to it. Or maybe the child does something wonderful or goes through the rites of puberty. And then, as a way of honoring this person, the people sing their song. In the African tribe, there is also one occasion upon which the villagers sing to the child. It is at any time during his or her life that the person commits a crime or an aberrant social act. The individual is called into the center of the village and the people in the community form a circle around them. Then they sing their song to them and remind them of who they are. The tribe recognizes that the correction of antisocial behavior is not punishment. It's love and remembrance of identity. Sorry. When you recognize your own song, you have no desire or no need to do anything that would hurt another. And this goes through their life, into their marriage. The songs are sung together. And finally, when this child is lying in bed, ready to die, all of the villagers know his or her song, and they sing for the last time the song to that person. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure that many of us grew up in a village where we have a song sung to us, but I do know that we have a creator who has sung a song over us from the foundations of the earth. And he wants us to be a part of a tribe that sings our song. Do we need church? Do we need the people around us in church? I can't answer for you. I can only answer for me, and I know that I need this now more than ever. And I really think you probably do too.